Um, well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. It's really, really good to, um, yeah, just to be with all of you. And um, man, that was a beautiful time of worship. Thank you, uh, Mindy and um, Jesse and uh, well, just man, powerful, powerful to worship God. To just I don't know, just to be in His presence. You know, um, beautiful. So I want to welcome uh, all of you, but. Uh, that, of course, includes uh, everyone joining us online. We love you lots, and, um, and as well as anyone who is new, um, thank you for, for being here. It can take a lot of courage uh, to walk through those doors um, and, you know, just enter into a new space, a new place, new people, and kind of wonder, like, oh, gosh, what's this going to be like? And so I hope um, you just have a sense of welcome and, uh, yeah, and just know that you're really wanted here. So thank you for joining us. Um, so we are in, uh, this is part three in our series titled First Peter. Um, so the series is actually titled First Peter Part One because we're just making it through chapter one uh, right now. And uh, in the next few weeks, kind of leading up to Christmas, and then um, we'll take a break for Advent, Christmas season, and then we'll jump back to First Peter for part two and kind of go from there. So we're just kind of working our way through, through Peter. So um, I think week one was like we just covered two verses this week's not much better. We're covering three verses, so <laughs> like uh, just make plodding our way through it. But um, uh, let's see. Two weeks ago we did uh, what was that? Six verses, th- verses three through nine. So you know that was better. We're making we're making our way. Um, so uh, tonight will be uh, verses ten through twelve of First Peter, and uh, the title of the message is the pattern, the pattern. Uh, so let's go ahead and read First uh, Peter uh, chapter one, uh, verses ten through twelve. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It's kind of interesting that he describes how the, the prophets in their writing, like you can go through, you know, of course, the biblical prophets um, in the Bible, you know, Zechariah, um, uh, Isaiah, which we'll read in a minute. There's a, a number of um, texts that kind of, you know, are, are allusions to, to who Christ was going to be. And so it's interesting that he says they were, it was like Christ, it was through the Holy Spirit, Christ in them was actually doing the prophesying. It was like Christ himself was doing the pointing to who he would be and how he would work. Um, it's kind of an interesting way to think of what, what's going on in prophecy. So verse 12, it was revealed to them uh, that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those uh, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In fact, even angels long to look into these things. So you can tell this, this whole little section here, it's like all about prophecy. It's all about um, you know, people, these, these prophets kind of foretelling who Christ would be and such. And uh, I'm quite familiar with this because uh, I grew up in kind of a whole wing of the church um, that was like really into biblical prophecy. I don't know if anyone has had the privilege of being in that, you know, kind of, kind of those wings uh, of, of the church. I think it's kind of 
more Protestant as opposed to Catholic, and then even among Protestants, it's not necessarily like the mainline folks. The you know I don't know if like the Methodists so much get in that. Maybe you know Methodists or Presbyterians. I don't think it's it's kind of more the non-denominational church, the Bible churches. You know the maybe certain wings of Baptists and whatever. So I was kind of part of the non-denominational world. So we were like all about the prophecies, um, you know, all about the, uh, and not so much in necessarily a Pentecostal charismatic sense of like people speaking prophetically to you. Oh, there's a little bit of that, but it was more about, you know, the biblical prophecies, the, um, all the passages that kind of foretold about Jesus and, uh, and not just the first coming of Christ, um, but even kind of getting into the book of Revelation, then like the whole second coming and, you know, all the things there, um, so I'm like, yeah, these are like my roots, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of imagining this, this type of passage is just the thing that we're like, yes, finally, we're like getting to the prophecy stuff, you know, that I can, <laughs> I can imagine um, the, the uh, young Brett just being like, finally, Brett, why don't you preach on this more often? Um, because that was, yeah, this is kind of our world. In fact, I can remember we did this, uh, this thing called Bethlehem Marketplace and we would turn our sanctuary, our church building into like this whole kind of into the city of Bethlehem. And so my job, I was, uh, I've served a number of roles in my young years. Um, and one of them, I was the, um, one of the, I was this, the synagogue like pupil, you know, when I was like 12 and I'd be sitting there with the rabbi and I would kind of, I was sort of like the shill. Like I was like, do not the prophets foretell that, you know, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, you know, and then this was prepubescent Brett. And so, uh, and then I've actually, I've gone back like years ago. I, I watched a video. Someone had gone through with a camcorder and recorded this and y'all, that is no joke how I sounded. I was so, I was like, oh my gosh, 18 year old Brett was not impressed with 12 year old Brett. I was like, what? But, but that was kind of my job, right, was to, don't they say, and doesn't the prophet Zechariah, doesn't he predict that they will, you know, come from Bethlehem or that, that the, the Jacob, there, there will be a, a scepter that shall rise out of Jacob, a, a uh, anointing of Christ will come out of Israel. You know, I just, this was my job, right? So all that to say, in this, through all of the prophecies, um, and that was, <laughs> so this, by the way, is not in my notes, I'm just kind of going right now on this part. Um, but this was, you know, so all I just say, this, I'm familiar. You know, like this kind of world of Bible prophecies, all the things about Jesus, we get like real excited. And um, now I will say, I'm not, at some point I need to do a series on the book of Revelation because I think there's some better ways to approach the book of Revelation that's not just like, it's like a playbook of the end, you know. Um, I think there's a lot in Revelation that's actually talking about the Roman Empire. Um, so, you know, there's... We'll get into that at some point. Um, but in terms of this first coming of Jesus, I, I must admit that a lot of the scriptures are, um, I mean, they're remarkable. They really are. It's quite remarkable um, to read. So I want to give you a taste for those who are maybe not familiar. Like, who are these, what are these passages? What are these prophets that Peter has in mind? You know, what are these texts that he's sort of like, they were, you know, trying to discern. Even angels long to kind of look into these things and see the future, you know. What are these he talking about? So I'm going to give you, I'll give you two examples. The first is Psalm 22. The second is Isaiah 53. So let's start with uh, Psalm 22. The psalmist writes, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Right? If you just kind of heard that passage, um, you might think, and you're at all familiar with the story of Jesus and crucifixion, right? You would probably just assume like, oh, 
cool, so that's like New Testament, you know. Um, but no, 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 this is a psalm. This is written hundreds of years uh, before Jesus was in the flesh. Um, so it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Here's a, another one. This is um, from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verses 3 through 7. Really, Isaiah 52 as a whole chapter and 53. They're both quite remarkable. Um, so this is just verses 3 through 7. Uh, for he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I mean, it's quite remarkable, right? It's sort of like, what is that? Is that after Jesus came? Like, nope, that's a long time. This is Isaiah, so many hundreds of years before Jesus actually came in the flesh. So, you know, again, if you're at all familiar with the story, it's quite remarkable. And so I think for good reason, you know, Christians kind of um, read these prophetic passages or even before Christianity came about, even before Christ, um, the Jewish people, you know, read these texts and kind of wondered, who would this be? You know, what, what are the, who is the he that this is talking about, you know? Um, and so I think rightly so, Christians as well. Now, in light of who Christ is, right, get very excited about texts like Psalm 22, Isaiah chapter 52, 53, the text we just read. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, this is, um, this is really cool, uh, you know, stuff. Like, and, and so um, what can happen is um, that over time we get kind of very, very, very into biblical prophecy, and we begin to kind of, um, should I go ahead and switch? Which one do you want me on? Let's see, I need wireless, this one. Check, test. Is that good? All right, cool. So, um, you know, so people get very into this, um, and they start to get kind of into all sorts of, like, you know, not just the big picture, but, like, into the minutiae, into the details. There's whole ministries that launch into just, like, unpacking all of the little biblical prophecies and things. Um, and what I want to name is that I think that's not what Peter's actually getting at. I don't think... He's kind of trying to push us towards um, that sort of thing. Um, in other words, I don't think the reason Peter brings these up um, is because he's trying to, like, prove that um, Jesus is the Messiah, that he's trying to, like, um, convince them that the Bible really is trustworthy. And so the prophets, you know, look, they predicted the future. Therefore, it's all true. You know, I, I don't think that's quite what... 
um, Peter's getting at and said, I think there's some key words in the text we just read that, that kind of get at Peter's point. And it's two words. It's sufferings, the sufferings and the glories. The sufferings and the glories. I think this is the point. Let me read it again. This is verse 11. So the prophets, they were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Suffering and glory. And in other words, the, the remarkable thing about these texts, um, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and others, um, is not simply that, like, look, they predict the future. And this is where I think people go a little wrong, because they're just like, wow, the future. Look at that. It predicts the future. You know, and we're like, okay, you know, what's that's cool. Um, but it would be a little bit of an exercise in missing the point, because what happens is we can get so obsessed with the fact that it predicts future that we, we start to um, almost miss the message right? Miss um, the pattern. Um, miss how it is God is working in the world. And that's the most important thing, right? In other words, we shouldn't, I don't think the point of Isaiah 53 is that we read that text and we just get like, wow, look at that. It predicted Jesus. And then kind of move on. Instead, what we should be shocked by, what we should say is absolutely remarkable is precisely how it describes God's Son. How it describes what God will do in the world. Um, in other words, notice um, that how Christ would come into the world and what would he do. This is what's remarkable. He embraces humility and lowliness and service, and suffering love. Like, that's the point. And, and even think of Isaiah 53, I think is, I mean, it's just beautiful the way he describes how, how this Messiah, God's deliverer, will do what? Will just bear, will just take on just all of our crap and our evil and our sin and I mean the language he uses that we just read is you know infirmities which is just our just the sickness that plagues the human race like both physical sickness and just moral ethical sickness like we're just terrible I mean and think of it even thinking of Jesus crucifixion it gives us even more clarity like it's almost worse than Isaiah predicted right? We know it's not only just evil in the kind of an abstract sense. It's like he literally takes on our torture. He takes on this, this just a malevolence in our lies. Just in, of, of politics, of the political realm, of the social realm, of religion. I mean, the whole thing, he just bears it all. He just takes it into his very body and, and then what does he do? He transforms it. He, he, theologians would say he transmutes it. He, he, he transforms it through suffering love. And that's the point. Right? That's the pattern. Like, this is how God works in the world. In other words, it would be easy to think 
that God's Messiah, God's deliverer, would show up and would just be the baddest dude on the block, right? He would show up and he would freaking kill his enemies and all those unbelievers and all those terrible people who haven't been living right. And like this is in ways, and there's other passages actually you can find in the Old Testament that point to something more along those lines. <laughs> like this is kind of who the liver, you know, it's, gonna, it's payback time. And this is what's so, this, like, this is the point of Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took on all of my crap and my sin and my shame. And he just bore it all in his very body. And then he just transformed it through suffering love. And then, thinking of, like, the, the Gospels, right? And then all the disciples scatter. I mean, they just treat him terribly. They all run, you know. And then he shows up in their midst. What does he say? His first word on his lips in the Gospel of John, peace. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. He, he speaks a word of peace. He speaks a word of forgiveness. He speaks a word of reconciliation. And then what does he do? He, he calls, he creates a community. And he says, this is the pattern this is how we're going to do it. Like, this is how I work in the world. I don't show up and slaughter all my enemies and, like, be the victor and, like, no, no, no. No, no, it's the cross. It's Psalm 22. It's Isaiah 53. It's the pattern. Like, that's the point. Can you see the difference a little bit in getting really obsessed with Bible prophecy and yet completely missing the point. Can you see how this happens, right? Where you get so interested, like, whoa, are there other passages like Psalm 22? There are, and then you just go and you get in all the minutia and you're just obsessed with all the details and you can quote like all the prophets and all the things. And yet the whole point is like, okay, well, that's interesting. Like, good for you. You know what's that Paul talks about? Um, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, it can be this huge exercise in just amassing knowledge. Just, I know all the prophecies. I know all the things, right? When the whole question is, like, have you discerned the pattern? Do you understand what the prophets are actually getting at? Right? That was their gene. That was why they were seers. It wasn't simply because they said, the Messiah, God's deliverer, will come. Right? And they did that hundreds of years before he actually came. Like, well, awesome. Good job. But, but the, re the remarkable thing about it is, is the how they discerned it how it was God would work in the world. I want to sum it up like this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. What these prophecies reveal is that it is not might or power or violence that will save the world, but is the humility, the lowliness, and suffering love of Christ in those like him. That's it. That's, that's First Peter. Suffering glory. Right, the path to glory, the path to exaltation, the path to greatness in God's eyes is not what the world thinks it is. That's the point. It's like completely upside down and unexpected. Like it's the Messiah was precisely the person we did not foresee. Isn't it funny how, you know, we kind of poke fun at like, oh, they didn't, they didn't see who Jesus was. You know, they didn't discern who Christ was. You know, if I were there, I would have. Probably not. <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest, probably not. 
Because, well, just look at it today. We're every bit as obsessed with money and power. You know, what do we want in our leaders? Like great kings and, you know, people that look great on Instagram. And, you know, like this is the way of the world. Has always has been the way of the world and likely will continue to be the way of the world until the kingdom of God just keeps working its way working its way into the world as we slowly learn the pattern like oh that's right it's not might or power or violence that will save the world oh that's right it's humility it's lowliness it's service it's it's suffering love because right? this isn't just about well that's what jesus did right he went to the cross for our sins and so we believe on him and then we get to go to heaven when we die and then woohoo for us you know like well that's not discipleship because right, discipleship says, that's who Jesus was, and now I am following Jesus, which means he lived the pattern, and so what do we do? We live the pattern, right? We embrace how God works in the world. Um, in fact, you know, it's interesting that it's, this is not only um, kind of about um, how God does it, but it's also the who. Because again, in kind of the ways of the world is we're always looking for, okay, we need like some powerful people. Like if we're going to have some influence in this city, which we'll actually get to later in this message, you know, we got we to gotta win this city for Christ. Well, then we need some really great people. We need some movers and shakers. I hope we can get the mayor here. You know, like this is, this is the way of the world is say, well, that's what we need. We need the societal movers and shakers at this church. And then when we get them on our side, then we can use them or God will use them by his grace and we will get all of the other people, right? Can you see how this doesn't fit the pattern? In fact, uh, this who extends, even Paul discerned this, by the way. He, he understood this. And this is why he writes in 1 Corinthians, a hilarious passage because he's writing to a church And uh, he says this, verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about us. (laughs) Which is kind of a funny thing to look at a church like, Yep, that's us. We're a bunch of nobodies. And let's be honest, like not, you know, not a lot of PhDs among us, you know, not a lot of, I don't know, billionaires, anyone have on their social media following 5,000, 50,000, 10,000, no, not so much, yeah, we're just, you know, kind of obscure nobodies, but this is the pattern. Because the world looks at it and says, well, those people are just a bunch of nobodies. I don't even know why people go to church. You know, but this is how God has chosen to work in the world. That's the pattern. It's the lowly, it's the despised, it's the nobodies. And just quietly, he just kind of sneaks up on the world. And he sneaks up on us too. As Paul says, he says, and why is that, by the way? Why? Because when we are weak, what? God is strong. See, because otherwise, we get all the glory. <laughs> and we think it's about us. We brought the kingdom. 
we really, we really brought God to this city, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, 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 that's not how it works, right? You know, in fact, this isn't um, even just the Christ pattern. Really, honestly, this is like the biblical pattern. If you kind of read the Bible with this pattern in mind, you'll see it all over the place, thinking back to, for example, like Abraham. You know, who we think in our minds, if you're familiar with Abraham, he was sort of the first, at least in the biblical account, the first kind of monotheist, the first person who, who trusted the one God and kind of left the, the many gods of his own culture and was kind of called by the one true God to, you know, journey forth in faith. And so we kind of build Abraham up in our minds like, whoa, the father of the faith, you know. Three religions kind of look back to him as like the guy, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all, all in the whole, their holy book, like Abraham, wow. So that's easy to think, right? Of like, wow, he must have been so powerful and amazing. And, but if you actually read the story, um, it's a little bit funny because God shows up to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of, you know, generations of people. In fact, look at the stars, Abraham. Just look at them, that your descendants are going to be more than all that. And the book of Romans chapter 4 points out that when God showed up and told him this, Abraham was 100 years old. Can you see the irony, right? It was like, huh? So you want me to have lots of kids and then we're going to storm a whole, we're going to form a whole generation or like how's, in fact, when God then showed up to his wife, Sarah, and said like, Sarah, it's time. It's time you're going to have a son. And then through that son, there's going to be whole generations. I'm going to create a people in this earth that are going to follow me and love me. And through them, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And he's got a whole plan, you know. And uh, what do you, if you know the story, you know what Sarah does. She laughs. Why? Because she was 80. Right? So he's 100, she's 80, and God's like, all right, it's perfect. Here we go. Right? Why would he do that? Because when we are weak, God is strong. It's not through might, power, and violence, and our genius strategies, and our awesome plans that God will save the world. It's, it's through his goodness. It's through, it's through an openness to him. And then when we're weak, he's strong, and he moves through us. I think also another example, um, Moses. Right. Again, we kind of have the Charlton Heston movie Moses in our minds, you know. Um, but that's just not accurate. Um, when Moses, when God shows up to Moses and kind of gives him a call, you know, like, you're going to go and do this thing in Egypt and you're going to set my people free. I'm going to use you powerfully. If you actually know the story, so he had to flee Egypt. Um, he was a murderer. He killed, he killed a man fled to the wilderness, gets married, and just is a shepherd in obscurity for 40 years. He was 40 when he fled. 40 plus 40 is 80, right? So can you, can you see again how God's like 80 years old? And this is kind of, often people think of them as like, you know, more the twilight years. They're like, okay, I'm kind of my legacy, you know, but, but what does God say? God's like, you're just getting started, Moses. Here we go. We're ready now. And Moses is like, huh? In fact, Moses starts to kind of beg off. Like, uh, well, I'm not, honestly, I'm not like the smartest and I'm not the most eloquent. I'm not really what you call a speaker or a leader of men, <laughs> you know? So he starts begging off like, maybe, um, what if Aaron, my brother-in-law, what if he does the talking? I mean, maybe I'll go, but if he does the talking, you know, like this is just not a recipe for, yes, success, you know, how to win friends and influence people. It's just not, it's just not it. But what does God say? He looks at Moses, you're perfect. You're perfect, Moses. Because it's not by might, it's not by power. Right? This is not how God works. It's it's that's is the pattern. 
When we're weak, he's strong. So I want to help this land a little bit as I wrap up, kind of land like in your own life, you know, because it could be a little bit of like maybe big picture, you know, the pattern, the biblical pattern, the Christ pattern, the prophecies, you know, all a little bit out there. And so I want this to land in your life. Um, I'll start with something personal and then I'll talk about us as a community. Um, so first kind of application, a little, little takeaway for you, personal. Um, what this means is that my ordinary, obscure, quiet life is exactly how the kingdom of God comes. See, we're all chasing, and we're just, I shouldn't say we're all, I'll just say we're all tempted to chase the big, the grand, you know, I want to be rich and famous and powerful and like do the thing and, you know, and like this is, it's just very easy to get pulled into that vision, right? That's just the way of the world. Like, you want to matter? Great. Well, then be awesome, you know, and be extraordinary and, um, and, the, and on, I mean, not only is it unattainable since not everyone can be rich and powerful and famous and right if everyone were that well then like no one would be you know <laughs> so it doesn't even make mathematical sense but still we're kind of chasing it um but again when we sit um in that way like it sort of can be about ego you know and so i think this is what's so beautiful is what christ invites us into is just to make it like more simple like um it's about just being like Jesus wherever we find ourselves. So some of you are teachers. I was talking to a teacher right before the, the service. It's a hard job, you know? And you think, I don't know, like, is this the life I envisioned for myself? You know, caring for, you know, 30 yelling seven-year-olds, you know? Um, find yourself a teacher. Love well. Love well. This is how the kingdom of God comes. Maybe you're a, I don't know, a nurse, cleaning people's bedpans, you know. It's not sexy to be a nurse. Like people, maybe, I don't know what people imagine it to be, but it's hard, you know. Uh, love well. This is how the kingdom comes. Mother, father, caring for young children. It's tough. <laughs> love well. This is how the kingdom comes. Mid-level manager, corporation XYZ. You're like, you have no idea how boring my job is, you know. Love well. Love well. This is how the kingdom of God comes. God uses you right where you're at. In your ordinary, obscure, quiet life. God uses you, I promise. So that's the personal. Let's speak to, um, in closing, the corporate, the communal. Um, being a cool or powerful church is not how the kingdom comes. It's just not how the kingdom comes, right? Um, and, and what, I, what I want to name, this isn't so much about pointing to other churches, and I don't like to badmouth other churches. Honestly, we have enough problems of our own, so I don't need to look outside. I'll just say for us, that's, there's going to be a temptation, right? As we kind of have a vision and something God calls us to, and we want to, you know, grow and, and see God do great things in people's life, and that's all beautiful, right? And there can be a lot of good intentions in that, but oh, I promise you, there will be a temptation, my friends, no doubt. There will be a temptation that in that process, we lose our soul. We do. Why? Because you can do church and leave the pattern far behind. And then what are you doing? You're just playing at church. Like you call it, you have the label church on your building, but, but because you think the kingdom of God comes through amazing eloquence 
and hilarious illustrations, you know, and big buildings and bigger budgets and, you know, whatever the thing, slick marketing, like, you start to buy into that and all of a sudden you lose your soul. Because what's it actually about? Um, relationships, love, service, humility, loneliness, and remaining weak so that God can be strong, God can be big, God can be good. So that's the invitation for us as a church, for us as people. And so as we um, take communion tonight, I want us to remember, like enter into it in that same, um, in that posture of just remembering the one who himself came in lowliness and humility and service and suffering love. We remember him and then we enter into solidarity and connection um, with him. So each of you should have a, a Ziploc bag and uh, a cup. If you don't, um, so I know we have a number of people here um, Daryl's coming up the aisle and he has some, some extra. So if you need, need a, a cup and some bread, we can get that to you. Um, if you are joining us online, uh, we would love for you to participate in com taking communion with us. Um, so you can just grab some bread from your fridge or if you got grape juice or wine or whatever you got, uh, we'd love for you to, to be able to participate with us. Um, I'm going to walk you through it in just a moment of kind of taking the elements um, as I read from 1 Corinthians um, 11. But before I do that, I also want to mention we practice what's called an open table, meaning if you're here tonight and you would like to participate in communion, then you are welcome to do it. Um, you don't have to worry about having like all the perfect theology or you know, whatever. Just if you something in you wants to connect with Christ, then go for it. You do it. So let me, um, let me walk you through this, um, starting in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start with the bread in just a moment. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can go ahead and partake of your bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the cup. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. 